Recently, there was a third grade teacher, and the class was going around and making Christmas cards, and she was seeing what the students were making. Some students had snowmen, they liked that, and some students had elves, some students drew cards of Santa Claus, and some had Mary, Jesus, and Joseph on their cards. But there's this one boy. And he drew an airplane, of all things, on his Christmas card. And the teacher's like, that's great. Why did you make that? And it's like, oh, I drew an airplane. And he's like, well, who's in the airplane? He's like, well, there's three seats there, and that's Mary, Jesus, and Joseph. And he's like, well, she's like, well, why an airplane? Well, they're on the flight to Egypt, of course. <laughs> and then she went into the front of the plane and looked at what he had there and said, who is that? Well, that's Pontius the pilot. <laughs> and that's the last cute joke you'll ever hear me say at Christmas. Uh, the reason being, I'm not a huge fan of cute jokes because when Christmas is cute, guess what you and I do not do? We don't change. We don't convert. We don't leave with hope. So what gives us hope as Christians this day, and it is the incarnation, it is the gospel message, and we are living in a world that is actually losing hope. Since the year 2016, there has been an increase in deaths of despair. That means people are dying and they're not having any hope to go any further. The top three causes of death since 2016 is suicide, Opioid overdose and also cirrhosis of the liver, which is another form of alcoholism. And people, whether they want to admit it or not, there's a ton of suffering going on in our world right now. So it's not like, hey, do you know someone who knows someone who knows someone who might have committed suicide? It's almost like I could ask you to raise your hands and almost half of you would raise your hands. Or do you know someone who is struggling with a drug addiction, and like almost would like raise our hands. Do you know someone who sweeps it under the rug saying they're not struggling with alcohol? Almost all of us could raise our hands. And the thing is, when, I don't know if you ever come across like 12-step programs, but in step two, it says you must have a higher power. Because if there's nothing stronger than your addiction or your struggle, there's no hope for you. And today we get to celebrate the beginning of the hope that Christianity offers that no other religion can offer. And it's not a mistake that you're here. Somehow I believe the Holy Spirit, which is probably blowing around this church much stronger than the wind outside, but I've been praying, let's let the Holy Spirit come in here because what the Holy Spirit does is make Jesus real to us. And a lot of us have never been overwhelmed by the gospel message, which offers hope. It overwhelms us with hope. And the gospel is more powerful than your addiction or somebody's addiction. It's more powerful than death. It's more powerful than all those temptations. And it's meant to overwhelm us with this sense of hope that I don't have to have it all together. But also, I have free will. And if you want to change this day, I pray and hope to God you do. 
So what is the gospel? The gospel is power. The gospel is not Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John. It is a power that you and I are literally created to be overwhelmed with. And how I've been presented the gospel, I want to share with you, because it's so important that we come to know, again, like, we can't keep doing cute Christmases, that we come here once a year, or we come here on Ash Wednesday and Easter. This is an everyday event to be overwhelmed with the good news of the gospel. And it's not just for priests, it's not just for deacons, it's for every single person here, especially the person in this church right now who is the most hopeless, whose maybe marriage is struggling the most, or who is struggling with alcohol, or has had suicidal thoughts, or is addicted to something. The first question when it comes to the gospel is why is there something instead of nothing? It's a very fundamental question. Why is there something instead of nothing? And the Catholic answer for that is, God, out of pure goodness and effortlessly, he created a universe that is 90 plus billion light years across. There's over 400 billion stars in this universe that God created. And if you were to take all those stars and make them into a grain of sand and you made it into a sandcastle, that would be 35 miles by 35 miles by 35 miles to ones that we know. And out of everything that God created, he knows each planet by name, he knows each star by name, but he also knows you and I by name. And out of everything that God created effortlessly, what he desired is a relationship with you and me. Remember growing up, I never heard that. I thought God was out in the clouds, like he's distant. But no, God desired a relationship with you and me. A, a relationship that's meant to fit that hole in your heart that only God can fill. Like we have an infinite desire for happiness, and it means only an infinite God can fulfill that. And if that was the end of the story, you'd probably be like, well, well, why is everything so messed up? Which is what the second question of the gospel is, is why is everything so messed up then? Everything that God said created is good. But one angel chose to rebel out of envy of you and me. The question that most people ask when they come to a priest's office is the question, why? Why is this particular thing happening in my life or in the world right now? Why, why, why? Again, the why is one of the angels chose to rebel and he, somehow what he did is he tricked our first parents of Adam and Eve into believing that God isn't good. God's holding back on you. God doesn't want you to be happy. And also, you're not good. And they bought this. And when they first sinned, they sold the human race into slavery against powers that you and I cannot compete against. What are those powers? Those powers are sin and death. They're like, they're like governments, they're like dominions. And if we don't think that sin is powerful, just ask yourself right now, have you ever done anything that you didn't want to do, you knew it was wrong, and you did it anyways? I was like, oh yeah, like every day, right? That's because sin is a power. Or as a college chaplain, I have people tell me all the time, oh Father, I don't think drinking is a big deal, or I don't think immodesty is a big deal, or I don't think that scrolling on my phone for eight plus hours a day is a big deal, or you name the thing, it's not a big deal, and I say, okay, 
Well, since you said it's not a big deal, then just stop doing that. And you can't. It's because sin is a power. And when our first parents sold the human race into slavery to sin and death, what happened in that is we were, what happened is, is we came to understand who the devil truly is. And hell is much worse than you could ever imagine. And what Jesus has done by becoming one of us is much more hopeful and amazing than you and I could ever imagine. The best image of the evil one, the devil, the prince of this world I've ever heard is he's like a human trafficker. And just imagine being human trafficked. You're in a room. You're all alone. You get harassed and abused every single day. You can't sleep because that makes you vulnerable. And that's going to be your life forever. No hope. So the next question is, is what, if anything, has God done about this? Just imagine yourself in that room. No one's coming for you. Absolute despair, tied up, bound up, and that's going to be life. But one day, a gentleman walks in this room, and that kind of scares you because you know what the person, the fiend, the evil one, the human trafficker has been doing. But this person comes in, and they exude peace, and they exude power, and they look at you like no one else has ever looked at you before. And they begin to untie you. And they want to walk you out of the room, but there's kind of fear there because you know who's on the other side of the threshold. But as they walk you through the threshold, what they're doing, what you find out he's done, is he's taken that human trafficker and he's bound him up. And he looks at you and he says, you don't have to worry about him anymore. I took care of him. This is what Jesus is doing on the cross, which is prefigured by the incarnation, the fact that God became one of us. The wood of the manger is prefiguring, pointing to the wood of the cross. God becoming a person, a God that created a universe that's 90 plus billion light years across, becomes so small just for you and me. God takes on our flesh, and he's actually, what he's doing is he's actually going be, he's, his goal is to go behind enemy lines to win you back. No one would have suspected that God would become a person that was totally out of the evil one's thought process. He couldn't imagine that God would make himself such, such a low species. And as you go through the, the life of Jesus, and you, and you look at how good this news is, an extraordinary good news is I just want you to imagine that you were at, you're, you're in France. And this is before the Allies land. And we know in, in World War II, they were just waiting for good news. They were under a dictator named Hitler. He was making their lives awful and worse than you could, I, I could ever imagine. And when the Allies arrived, they opened their newspaper, and they, you know, they didn't open it and think like, oh, Allies are here. They were like, oh my gosh, the Allies are here. They would have been rejoicing and coming to know that there is hope for them. And the problem for a lot of us is when we look at the nativity, when we look at Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and we ask, why are they there? Often there's crickets. 
But they're there for the same reason, guys. They're there to fight. To win you and I back to the family that we were originally created for. And what Jesus is doing on the cross, what he's doing is he's baiting Satan. He's hiding behind flesh. The God of the universe is hiding behind flesh. And you can't put God in a manger unless he wants to be there in a total mess. And you can't put God on a cross unless he wants to be there. So he's there to bait Satan so he can go behind enemy lines to win every single person who is in that human trafficking room back. To say that you matter to God. You matter the point of him to going to war with sin and death, of powers that you and I can't compete against. You matter that much to him, and he wants his family back. Are you and I still going to sin? Yes, but we don't have to anymore. Which goes into the fourth question, which is, if that's all true, if that's all true, if, if God has really done all of that just for me, how should I respond? Isn't it to trust him? That's called faith. And there is hope before each of us. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I will come in and dine with him. We have to remember that Jesus, who is a gentleman, who is the second person of the Trinity, who is God, can't handle any more cute Christmases. But what he's waiting is for you to open the door or reopen the door of your heart and let him in and come save you. Because again, all of us have an infinite desire for happiness, have an infinite desire to be loved, whether we want to admit it or not, but we just, sometimes we go to things that are not God. And if that's you, I just want to ask you tonight, how's that going for you? And if you desire hope, if you desire true peace as much as you can get on this side of heaven, do you want it? That means, yes, little by little you're going to have to change, but what Jesus desires with each of us is to be with us in all we do. And no one makes Jesus more real to us than Mary because she, again, through her yes, gave flesh to this warrior God who wants you back. If I would have known this message, this gospel, it would have saved me from a lot of sin. So I'm not up here preaching and acting like I'm perfect. But I do know it's the only message I've ever heard that affords hope. And again, our world, especially in the United States, is dying of despair. And I just want to shock you with a few things right now. Just to let you know, like, where are we really at? Because, again, we can't do cute anymore. There's time for cute, but now is not it. Talked about cirrhosis liver alcoholism. The average age of men dying of cirrhosis liver right now is 35 in the United States. That should make our jaws drop. Like, this is sad. With the opioid overdose pandemic right now, there... In the United States, we, we have 5% of the world's population and we consume 80% of the world's opioids. 
We should be really concerned about our youth. Anyone aged 10 to 14, suicide rates have tripled in the past five years. That means what the world's offering us isn't working. We have a God who's knocking at the door of our hearts to put him first. As he's sitting in the manger waiting to feed you, the word manjare means to feed, right? Bethlehem means the house of bread or the house of meat. He wants to feed you with true food. And we have an opportunity to receive that on this holy altar when this word becomes flesh on that altar so at every single Christmas Mass, Christmas happens. Every single Mass, God comes to us and he meets us in our mess and he offers a new hope. But the thing is, if you want to accept this message, it's a journey. It's not a one-time save and done. This is an everyday decision. And again, what Mary does is is give flesh to Jesus. What the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to us. The most powerful prayer I've heard is three words. Come, Holy Spirit. And as I pray that often, it makes Jesus real to me. And what Jesus does, he makes the Father's love real to us. To know that if we were the only person on earth, he would have died just for us because he wants us back. He wants us free from that house. And maybe you're thinking, if I pray the words, come Holy Spirit, like what's going to happen? Is lightning going to strike me? No. (laughs) No. Little by little, Jesus will become more real to you, and you'll begin to hear him knocking and saying, I want to unbind you. I want to set you free. I want you back. And maybe you're thinking, well, that just sounds too simple. The gospel is not here to make our lives more difficult. The gospel is here to simplify our lives and make our lives more hopeful. If that's you tonight, or maybe you know somebody who's suffering, I just want us to pray those words, come Holy Spirit, three times. And as you pray those words, come Holy Spirit, I really want to encourage you to pray them with as much faith as you have, even if it's the size of mustard seed. If you know somebody who is suffering, to pray for them, especially for those who have addictions, especially for those who struggle with drugs, but especially in this world where we see people struggling with that, that um, unfortunate reality of suicide. So if you would like to pray those three words, and just don't worry about what anybody else thinks around you, right? It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It only matters what God thinks, but he sees you and he loves you. And he wants to come set us free. So that if we head into the Christmas season, we have a hope that we can share with others. So if you'd please pray with me, the words, come Holy Spirit, three times. Come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. May Almighty God bless you and your families this Christmas season. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.